Well, for one last time, turn to the book of Isaiah. I just heard a yes. I don't know if that's a finally, or if that's a yes, let's get one last wonderful truth from God's word out of the book of Isaiah. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 66. Reading verses 7 through 14. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breath, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees, as one who is mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. A 2012 Pew Research study identified this new and rising group of people in our country called, and they call, the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. The nuns, meaning those with no religious affiliation. At the time, this was 2012, 20% of Americans said they had zero religion no connection, no affiliation with any religion at all. About 10 years later, in 2021, that number rose to 30%. Three out of 10 people would claim to have no religious affiliation at all. Now, in some ways, this isn't surprising as we see the rapid secularization of our culture and the rapid exodus from the church. But what's alarming is that that trend of exodus from the church, that trend of this rapid secularization, is not slowing down at all. When you throw into the mix those who have been wounded by the church, and there's a number of you here today that would fall into that category. But when you throw that mix, those who have been wounded by the church, they would still claim to believe in Jesus, but don't attend church at all. 
And then you add on top of that, in the past decade, the scandals that have rocked the church. You can see why, for many, this description of the church in Isaiah 66 is a head-scratcher. Because in verse 11, it says that the church is glorious. It talks about the glorious abundance of the church. In verses throughout, it talks about rejoicing over the church, loving the church, being glad for the church. And for many, the question becomes, why? With people leaving the church in droves, with people having been wounded by the church, with the six o'clock news and social media and the scandals we see in the church, why in the world should I believe that the church is glorious? And yet that's what Isaiah 66 describes. Why? Why is the church glorious? First, the miracle of the church. The church is described in this passage as a mother, both giving birth to children and satisfying, nurturing, caring for children. But what's most striking in verse 7 is the way in which this birth of children is described. Look at verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. This is describing a painless birth. Motherhood without labor. This is symbolic of the Garden of Eden restored. Right? Of the pain of childbearing and the curse being removed. This is something that when you read it is completely foreign to the human experience. Completely foreign. In fact, verse 8 says, who has heard such a thing? Right? This is impossible. This is outside of any human experience. And that's the point that Isaiah is making. This is referring to something that's supernatural. Something that is miraculous. That the birth of the church, which in this passage, it refers to Jerusalem, it refers to Zion. Those are Old Testament descriptions of God's people, of the community of God's people. The Old Testament church. And this is a passage speaking of the church. He combines it with the rest of verse 8. Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth children. So not just one child, but we're talking about the birth of a whole nation of children. And the point that Isaiah is making here is that the church is supernatural. That the birth of the church, of people who have been miraculously rescued by Christ, bought and cleansed with the blood of Jesus Christ, that community of people, that is miraculous. It is supernatural. The springing of a whole new being of people or community of people through supernatural birth. If you're here in Christ, meaning that you are trusting Jesus Christ, it is an absolute miracle. 
Do you realize that? If you grew up in a Christian home, it's not, oh, I grew up in a Christian home and just kind of all assumed to believe in Jesus. No, it's an absolute miracle that you are trusting in Jesus Christ. You didn't do that. You didn't come to that conclusion after good, solid research. You studied the Bible and you came to conviction, but that was the Holy Spirit rebirthing John chapter 3. It's an absolute miracle. And so the church is supernatural. It's not the gathering of people that gather around with common, man-constructed likes and dislikes. That's a worldly social club. That's not the church. The church is a gathering of people that gather around one commonality. And that's Jesus Christ. So how do you respond to a miracle? Just think about that. How do you respond to something that is supernatural? Something is clearly a work of God. Think about that. You've experienced it at some point in your life. How do you respond to a miracle? I don't have to help you answer that. That's a pretty quick answer. You quickly can describe what it's like to respond to a miracle. Here's the, the, the real question. How do you respond to a miracle that you have forgotten is a miracle? How do you respond to a miracle that you have forgotten is a miracle? Critical care doctor Webb Ely describes an ordinary miracle that you and I experience multiple times a day. And that is taking a breath. Listen to what he says. We take for granted our ability to breathe. We do it again and again, one breath after another, without thinking. Yet the lungs are incredibly complex. The respiratory system made up of so many different actors, structures, and functions. Cells with hair-like projections called cilia move fluid. Goblet cells secrete mucus. Column-like cells line and protect. Our lungs have cells that are integral parts of our nervous system, our lymphatic system and immune system. Now listen to this. They contain cartilage, elastic tissue, connective tissue, muscles and glands, and all of this gives rise to a system of airway that is 1,500 miles long from New York City to Dallas. In your body, and filters every ounce of air entering the body. Every breath you take is a miracle. And yet you don't respond to every breath as though it's a miracle. The church of Jesus Christ is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. If you are here today and trusting in Christ, it is a miracle. If you're here investigating the claims of Christ and you're moving towards Christ, that's a miracle. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. The Spirit is drawing you. The church is not a humanly constructed social club around common topics. It is the gathering of a people. Now listen to this. It's a gathering of a people who, apart from supernatural births, 
through Jesus Christ would not spend time together. The church is a gathering of very different people that have one commonality. Do you realize that this local church called Christ Churches, that we have recovering addicts across the spectrum who have been rescued miraculously by Jesus Christ. We have, and I'm going to name the obvious ones, and listen to this list. We have recovering drug addicts. We have recovering alcoholics. We have recovering workaholics. We have recovering sex addicts. We have recovering approval addicts. Recovering Pharisees. Those recovering from eating disorders and mental disorders and anxiety disorders. We have recovering perfectionists. We have recovering pretenders. We have recovering performers. And all of these people Locked arm in arm in a worship service, worshiping the one commonality, the one person who has rescued us from all these various forms of brokenness and addiction and sin. That is the church. If if we could have everyone in here share their story this morning and somehow do it five minutes, you would be blown away. Because the person you look at and you say, well, they just got it together. If you heard their story, you would be shocked. That's why, that's why knowing each other's stories is so important. The church is a miracle. Back to the question, how do you respond to something that is miraculous and supernatural? When you walk up to the Grand Canyon, if you've ever done it, what do you do? It takes your breath away. Or any beautiful part of God's creation. It takes your breath away. When you hear someone share their story of being miraculously rescued by Christ, it can bring you to tears. Or when you hear of Jesus healing the most hard-hearted sinner, who you had absolutely no belief could ever be healed because they were so hard-hearted, and you hear of that person being healed by Jesus, you sit in awe. It's miraculous. That's why the church has survived the centuries and why many powerful nations built and constructed by human beings have come and gone. And that's why mankind's attempt to destroy the church has failed miserably. Because it's not a human construct. The miracle of God. I mean, when you walk in these doors on a Sunday morning, does it take your breath away? Of course not. But it should. As we look and we see, lives have been changed. We should be speechless. It should take our breath away. We should sit in awe and, and hear 
when you see someone around you on Sunday singing loudly to Christ, knowing that they are going through a horrific, crushing season of suffering, that should take your breath away because that's supernatural. That's a miracle. So why is the church glorious? Because it's a miracle. That's why it's glorious. It's a miracle. Second, though, not, not just a miracle, but it's necessary. In other words, you need the church. You need it. Look at verse 10. It's full of commands to rejoice with the church, be glad for the church, love the church. You say, why? Verse 11. That you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breath, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. That you may be satisfied from the church, and that you may drink deeply with delight from the church. Now, I'm going to address two troubling thoughts that may be bubbling up in your heart from verse 11. Okay, the first troubling thought is this. I've been wounded deeply by the church. And I'm being called here to drink deeply with delight from the church. Explain that one. That's probably thought number one. Probably thought number two. I'm supposed to be satisfied in Christ alone. Right? And yet here I'm being called to be satisfied from that work. So let me address both of these troubling thoughts. The first one, I've been wounded by the church. How am I supposed to drink with delight from the church? I love the honesty. By the way, you know the Bible is tremendously honest. If you read the Bible with integrity, it is brutally honest. And there's honesty here. In verses 10 to 11, it's the description of the church. Specifically verse 10, look at it. Rejoice with Jerusalem. The church. And be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. And all you who mourn over her. Say, wait a minute. Rejoice with the church. And mourn over the church. Why do we mourn over the church? Because what is being said here is that mourning over the church is mourning over the sins and the weaknesses and the shortcomings of the visible church. The church is not perfect. The church is far from perfect. And verse 10 acknowledges that with the mourning over the church. In other words, don't be surprised that you've been disappointed with the church or even wounded by the church. It doesn't excuse it. But don't be surprised. Between Christ's first and second coming, here's what you can expect. To be regularly blessed by the church and to be regularly frustrated with the church. Those are 
two realities between Christ's first and second coming. Let me, if I can summarize verses 10 and 11 in one short phrase, it would be this. Don't throw the baby out with the bathroom. The day is coming when the church, meaning the community of people who have been bought and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The day is coming when the church will be nothing but delight and satisfaction. That's not until Christ returns. But until he returns, until he returns, you rejoice with the church with the blessing and you mourn with the church with the disappointment and with the frustration. But don't leave. Don't reject it. Why? Well, this brings us into the second troubling point that comes out of verse 11. That's, that's that we're to be satisfied in Christ alone. And yet I'm hearing here in verse 11, I'm to be satisfied in the church. How does that, that work? In fact, this is not necessarily a struggling thought. It can be an attractive thought. And here's how it goes. I have been wounded by people. I have been disappointed by people in the church. And it's just happened too much. I'm done with it. I'm going to be satisfied in Christ alone. At least theoretically. And I'm going to withdraw from community. I'm just going to isolate. It's too hard. It's way too hard. But we forget one of the profound truths at the very beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Belonging to Christ, being satisfied in Christ, is your deepest need. And yet God acknowledges that creation and life without human companionship and without community is not good. Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. To belong to Christ is to belong to one another. To need Christ is to need one another. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about those in Christ forming one body, and every member of the body is dependent on the other, or belongs to the other. And so you can't separate satisfaction in Christ from satisfaction in his body. Right? Belonging to Christ is belonging to one another. And I would say it this way, don't let satisfaction in Christ alone, which sounds very godly and orthodox, be an excuse for autonomy and independence. We are not called to independence. We are called to interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. And I would say, let satisfaction in Christ alone propel you to drink deeply with delight from his body for the church. In other words, satisfaction in Christ alone should move you towards people. Not away from people. But towards people. Because satisfied in Christ alone, you can move towards someone who has hurt you. And not away. Satisfied in Christ alone, you can move towards someone who you normally wouldn't spend time with. Satisfied in Christ alone, you can move towards someone that you maybe think is a little bit difficult. And can I just be honest? 
Eu trabalhei no Conselho de Saúde. In Christ and through his body, which is the church, we find true belonging. True belonging is being fully known and fully loved. To be known and not loved is painful rejection. To be loved but not known is merely fitting in. To be neither loved nor known is to be ignored completely and to be rejected completely. God has designed his church to be a place where you are known and loved. And that's why we break up a large room like this into what we call communion groups, because that's a place where you can be known and loved. That's God's design for his church, and that's why you need the church. And that's why you're called to drink deeply with delight from the church. So why is the church glorious? It's a miracle. You need the church. And finally, the church is a place of comfort. Look at verses 12 to 13. You shall nurse you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. I mean, what a beautiful image there of a child that's just being nurtured and cared for, right? As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem or in the church. Isaiah uses a powerful image here. He uses the image of a mother caring for and nurturing her child. And what an appropriate image it is on this mother. But the care and the nurture of a mother flies under the radar in our glitz and glamour world. Motherhood is often seen as a thankless vocation, and certainly seen as an almost invisible vocation in our glistening glamour world of flashy careers. But I will tell you this, that our world would quickly crumble and fall apart without money. This is the image that Isaiah uses for the church. In a very similar way, the church flies under the radar in a very flashy, glitz, and glamour world. And yet the church has the care and the comfort that our hurting and broken world desperately needs. Notice the, notice the progression of comfort in verse 13. As one who is mother comforts, so I, that's God speaking, I will comfort you. 
you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God says, I will comfort you. And then he says, you're going to be comforted by the church. The Apostle Paul picked up this progression beautifully. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that, here's the, the lie. If you've been comforted by Christ, if you've been comforted by God, here's why. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What that means is that the comfort that you receive from Christ is the same comfort that you extend to someone else when they're in the midst of hardship or affliction. That we, the body of Christ, the church, is to be a, a conduit of Christ's comfort. Now, electrical conduit is that tubing that carries the electrical wires. The conduit has no power in and of itself. The conduit is just carrying the power, and so it is that we are called to be conduits of Christ's comfort. We are carriers of Christ's comfort. We receive it from Christ, and we carry it to others. We're simply the conduit. Church is called to be the conduit of Christ's comfort to a hurting world. Notice the beginning of verse 12. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, her, the church, and the glory of the nations like an ever-flowing stream. God said, I will extend the glory, the glory of the nations to the church. In other words, God says, I will send the world. I will send the world to the church to receive the only comfort that exists. The only true comfort that exists. And that's the comfort of Jesus Christ. God is sending the world to the body of Christ. To the church. To places like Christ Church East. Other churches here in our city of Jackson. Here's the question. And that's to be asked. Is Christ Church East functioning as a conduit of Christ's comfort to the people that God sends our way? Now, I'm going to answer this honestly and tenderly. The warmth, the welcome, the care at Christ Church East pre and post pandemic is not the same. And I will say that is more broadly true of our world. I said it before, the pandemic taught us to hunger down, to pull back, to isolate. We started working from home away from 
or hope. We started meeting on the screen. Neighborhood block parties became a thing of the past. Our children weren't allowed to play together. Now, the pandemic has come and gone. But some of the behavior has remained. Now, when I say Christ Church is, is different pre versus post pandemic, I say that because we've gotten some direct feedback from first time parents. Post pandemic is very different than the feedback we got pre pandemic. of not feeling the warmth, the welcome, the care of the body of Christ, and even some that said we came because we heard that was the reputation of Christ Church Jesus, which is beautiful. But they came and experienced something very different. Now, let me explain what I think is one very practical reason for this. And I will say that care, warmth, welcome is a hard issue. Sure, not circumstances, but there are circumstances that can enable a lack of care or a lack of welcome. And so, here's one very practical reason why I think this is part of what we're experiencing. When guests show up at Christ Church East, and by the way, if you're a guest this morning, you're getting a little peek behind the curtain. Well, okay. And not every guest, but there's some of you that are like, I, I feel very welcome. Yes, absolutely. But when first time guests come to the church, they come on time. Okay? They do because they don't know this building. They walk in going, I don't know where the worship center is, I don't know where to take my children, so I'm going to get there at 1025. Well, I have some time to navigate, right? Most of our people show up. Somewhere between the end of the first song and a confession. Now, when those guests walk into those front doors, they are greeted warmly by our connect team. And I will tell you, if you are serving on our connect team, you are doing an amazing work. They get a warm welcome at the tent. They walk in. If they have kids, they're, they're ushered down the hallway. It is unbelievable. But when they get past there and they start coming down the hallway, they turn into an empty worship center at 10.20. And they come in. And they sit down by themselves. It's awkward. Let me give you an example. Okay? And then you'll help you understand what a guest would feel in this situation. If you invited your people, or your, your friends, or invited people over to your house for dinner, and you had someone stationed outside your front door. They pull up along the curb, they get out. Welcome! So glad you're here, smiling face. They walk up towards your patio, and they get a shake and a shake hand, hug, so glad you're here, come on in. And then they walk into your den, and you're not there. Nobody's there. And they sit on the couch for 10 minutes before you show up. And in some ways, that, that's what happens for a first time guest. Is they walk into an empty game. 
And ten minutes later, the hosts show up. This only gets exacerbated over the summer because over the summer, our groups are on break. So there's not a natural progression into a community. Groups are on break. And here's the irony. Over the summer, that's when people tend to move to the city. In between school years, they make their transition over the summer. They begin to check out churches over the summer. So the whole issue in the summer just gets exacerbated.
had been attending this church's junior high. And they finally convinced me to come to church. I was pumped. I really enjoyed it. And God started speaking. But my life became overwhelming. It was so hard to see my children suffering because of me. I just couldn't take care of them like a mother should. One night I parked in front of the church and cried. I asked God, why was I given these children if I am unable to take care of them? They were hungry, unhappy, and living in a one-room hotel. They were suffering because of my inability. I was trying to fix things, but it wasn't working. So I asked God if I should turn them over to the Savior. I cried for about two hours that night. But I got no answer. I went back to the motel and kept going. After a few more weeks, I was falling deeper and deeper into a hole I couldn't get out of. One day after work, I was at the end of my rope. There was barely anything to feed the kids. They were arguing with each other. I had had a stressful day at work, and I had to work all night cleaning the rooms in the motel. There was no one to help. So I sat down at the tiny table in the room, closed my eyes, and I prayed. I asked God for strength. I told him I didn't need money to miraculously fall from the sky, but I just needed endurance through this trial. I asked him to give my children peace and to give me a sign that I was going to make it. After I prayed, I lifted my head and took a deep breath. Right at that moment, there was a knock at my motel door. There were two people from a care team at church. They were holding a cup filled with candy. I cried. I still don't know who those people were. There were still some hard times after that, but God gave me strength to find a new life. I joined a small group and became part of that wonderful family. Now God has moved me to a great place to live, two blocks from the church. He brought me a promotion at work so I don't have to clean motel rooms at night anymore. I remember so clearly the feelings of helplessness and saying, if I can just make it through today. But our God is good. I look at my cup every day now, that cup that they brought with candy in it. I keep it in my car as a reminder that when we as people are at our lowest, helpless and broken, if we just turn to God, he will bring us a cup. Isn't that a beautiful story? We have approximately, give or take, four people every Sunday that serve on our connection. But we have a connect and care team of hundreds. And you're on that team. What role, by God's grace, by God's grace, are you playing?
making Christ church Jesus a conduit of Christ's comfort. The hurting people of heaven as the people who say, God is Father, forgive us for treating the church as something that we do and don't need, something as an aside, something as a when it fits our schedules or needs. And yet, even as we confess this, Father, we all are deeply sinful. We are so grateful for the care of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, you came to rescue broken things. That you died and rose from the dead to rescue people like us that are bodies and we cherish that comfort that you bring. But we ask that you would take that comfort that we've received from you and move it through us to those around us. Father, make us a, a, a local body of Christ, a local church that is warm and welcoming the people you send our way. Father, as we begin this time of fellowship before worship starting on June 4th, would you make it a wonderful time of your people loving one another well, getting to know each other beyond our community groups, and when people walked in, that they would feel warmth and welcome and care that it would, they would experience the open arms of Jesus in a very Father, we, we know there's people hurting around us because we ourselves are hurting. We ourselves are going through trial, hardship, affliction. We know what pain is. And so we know people around us are experiencing the same thing. 